Come on, let's welcome the chapel in Richmond. Love you guys. Come on, let's welcome the men and women in Chesterfield County Jail. We love you. Good morning, good morning. You can be seated. Well, we are in a series finale called Next, and I'll tell you about that in a second, but I want to look in the camera and say good morning to the chapel in Scott's Edition in Richmond. Love you guys. Excited about all God's doing. I saw all the balloons in the lobby and everything. Come on. We're celebrating what God has for us next as a church. Welcome. And of course, the men and women in Chesterfield County Jail, we love you guys. We're thinking of you. And everybody online, we love you. Uh, if you're home still because you have some health concerns, we want you to know that you are absolutely part of our church family online. But if you just got out of the habit, I got to tell you, there's nothing like being in the room. These people are very handsome and, and beautiful. And uh, so we'd love to have you with us. So thanks for being with us. But uh, like KJ and Emma just said, you saw that. Uh, would you just be praying over Easter weekend? Uh, we, got, we got all kinds of gatherings planned. It's a great time to invite people who maybe um, don't have a home church or haven't been going to church. So would you just be praying about which service you'll attend and who you'll invite? We're planning some special elements musically and, and uh, photo booth and all that kind of stuff. So we can't wait just prayerfully expecting what God's going to do in our hearts leading up to Easter. And next weekend, we're going to launch a brand new series, a three-week series to ready our heart uh, for Easter called Psalm 23. We're going to dive through the, the most, one of the most well-known chapters of the Bible and learn to walk with our shepherd. And uh, so we can't wait for that. But um, we're in the final message in our series called Next. And if you're new here today, it's an awesome day for you to pick to be here because you're going to hear a little bit about the generous heart of our church and our vision for our next uh, two years. And here's what Next is. It's a two-year vision for our church, a generosity initiative for us to fulfill the vision that God's put on our hearts. And so uh, we, we know a lot of you got this little card. We put them on everybody's seats in case you forgot that yours, but... Uh, you've been preparing, planning, filling it out for this day when we all um, when we all take a step to celebrate. Like if you missed last week, I just wanted to give you an update. And that is on first Wednesday a few weeks ago, our key leaders, we went first, filled out our cards. And I wonder if you could just join me, Scott's edition of Midlothian, and thanking our leaders that, that literally they wrote on the first line what they normally give yearly to support the ministry of the chapel. And then they pledged a 91% increase in their giving over the next two years. Come on, let's thank our leaders who are going first in this. And uh, Here's the only reason why we tell you that, because we, we don't want anybody to think we're going to ask anybody to do something we're not going to do. We're all in on this thing. We believe that God has something special for us. And so we're looking to expand and be ready for expansion in Scott's Edition, future campuses, as well as a new auditorium and kids space here at Midlothian. And we're doing everything we can to deal with our space limitations. I know somebody said uh, earlier this week, well, you're doing 10 Easter services. I can't, is that too many services? Just so you know, okay, I'm, I was a shy 16-year-old kid who felt called to be a pastor. So I'm just glad anybody comes to Easter, okay? So we, we don't feel burdened by that. We'll do as many services as we have to, but we wanna make space for people that are that are still to come to our church. In fact, we were driving to church, I think I told you this a, a couple months ago, and Katie and I were complaining about all the trees they're knocking down in Richmond. And how many condos can they build? And how many houses? And who are these people? And finally, I just yelled, would all the northerners stay out of Richmond? And, and, I, and yet, I, Katie said, don't you think that's kind of hypocritical that we moved here from New York 10 years ago? And I said, well, I'm glad we did, but we don't need any more down here. And uh, 
Uh, but, but, uh, but, but how many know we got to make space for what God's doing in our community and what God has for us? And so today is Commitment Sunday. And at the end of this Sunday, here's what I'm going to ask. I, I'm going to ask all of us to fill out this little card so our team and our administration and, and leadership can plan uh, groundbreaking and all that based on the generosity of, his, of God's people. So a lot of you came with these filled out. If you didn't, we'll give you a chance at the end of the gathering. We'll collect them all just so we can start to make plans uh, for going ahead in the next couple months, what God has for us. I believe there's going to be some people that you've never gave and you start taking steps in obedience to giving. I'm telling you, there's nothing like the joy of giving. God rewards, God blesses when we trust him financially. I think there's going to be a lot of us starting giving. And I think a lot of us are going to choose to expand our giving to help us uh, uh, make a difference and make space for what God has for us. And we'll do that at the end. Okay, everybody good with that? Good. Uh, well, I want to look today as as we uh, land this series, and I want to I want to make the case today that what we're doing as a local church is the greatest way you can leverage your life to make a difference in eternity. And I want to build it off of maybe one of the most important passages of Scripture. If you don't know this passage of Scripture, I hope you'll become familiar with it today and really even consider memorizing portions of it. Because Jesus has spent two years teaching his disciples. And he's trained them and he's shown them miracles and he's taught them who he is. And he comes to the place in Matthew 16 where he has to ask them this essential question. The Bible says when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? So this is the crucial question, isn't it? Who do people say the son of man is? And Jesus was here and at a northern portion of uh, Palestine called Caesarea Philippi. And in fact, if you, we have a map of it here. Uh, sometimes at the very north of the uh, Holy Land is an area called Dan. And at the very south is an area called Beersheba. Sometimes people will say from Dan to Beersheba. It's like kind of saying from north to south. And and, and yet, right near the north is this little town. It was kind of the armpit of, of Palestine called Caesarea Philippi. And the reason it had to be called Caesarea Philippi is because Caesar was such an egomaniac, he named multiple cities after himself. So they not only had to call it Caesar, they had to give a secondary name to town because he named... How, how, many, how many think that's an egomaniac, right? Like, it'd be like me naming one of the room, rooms in my house Brandonia, you know? Although that sounds awesome to me, but uh, but literally they had so many times. And, and in fact, in that day, he would encourage people to say, Caesar is Lord. I think one of the reasons Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say I am in Caesarea Philippi is he's making them make a choice. He's saying the whole world is worshiping this emperor, this ruler, this Roman power. But who do you say that I am? I'm here to remind us today there is no governor, no mayor, no president, no ruler, no politician, no Instagram. No, no, there, there is no one like Jesus is Lord. Don't we believe that today? And, and, and Jesus is forcing them to that place. In that place, who do people say that I am? And they answer they say, well, people are saying a lot of things. Some say, and these are all good things. Some say you're, you're John the Baptist. This was the forerunner of Jesus. And, and, and some say you're Elijah, one of the great prophets. In fact, Elijah didn't even die. He was taken up. And it's this picture of, of maybe a prophet come back from heaven or, or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. I mean, I mean, these are all good things. They're saying, Jesus, people think you're all these kinds of prophets. Although, how many know they're getting close, but they're not quite there, right? 
And in fact, I think that's what our world does today. They get close, but not quite there. They, they say Jesus was a good man, a moral teacher, a prophet. He, he, gave, he was a great leader. He, he taught us to love our neighbor as ourselves. But how many know that those are not, that's not good enough, right? Jesus says, well, okay, people say all these different things. And Jesus then makes it personal. But what about you? Who do you say I am? This is the ultimate question, isn't it? Who do you say I am? People say he's all kinds of things, but what about you? What do you say about God? And Simon Peter, who's the kind of the spokesperson for, for the whole group, Simon Peter says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. I have news this week, and Jesus is not a way, he's the way. Jesus is not a good teacher. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the Messiah. And the word son doesn't mean derivative of it. It means equal to the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord, begotten of God, born of a virgin, suffered, crucified, resurrected. Jesus is God, right? And that's what, that's what Peter says. And Jesus replies to him. He says, wow, this is incredible. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. He uses Peter's original name before he even uh, knew Jesus. He says, Peter, he kind of reminding him of before he even knew him. Uh, This wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, Peter, meaning you didn't humanly figure this out, but by my father in heaven. Do you know the Bible actually teaches that we couldn't even have a relationship with God through Jesus? And yes, unless the father drew us. That we can't even open up our, our, our earthly eyes, spiritual eyes. And so he literally says, this is incredible. At this crux moment, two years leading to this, the ultimate question, the disciples get it right. And Jesus says, awesome, Peter. Blessed are you. God's told you about this. And then he makes this statement that we build all of next around, all of our church around, all of our hope around. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will build my church. And here's what he's saying. Because of the confession of Jesus Christ, the Lord, people can have a personally uh, transformed life. Here's what next is all about. It's not just about religion. It's about personal transformation. We believe at the chapel that you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. How many believe that, right? That there are no kind of grandkids in heaven, if you will. That meaning that all of us have to get there through our own relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Lord. And, and literally Peter places his faith in Jesus. And Jesus says it's important that you not just identify what the nations around you, what the people around you, what the culture around you says about Jesus. But it's important that you place your personal faith in Jesus. And so that's what we live for as a church. We live to help people come to know God. Come on. We live to help people what? Come on, come and what? No, no God. Personally, personally connected to Jesus Christ. And you need to know that's what this next building is about. It's not about building more seats and, and a new space. It's about having individual people come to know Jesus, right? It's about making space for one, 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 one person to come and know, trust, and treasure Jesus. In fact, I tell, I tell this illustration oftentimes at, uh, at funerals, and that is, it was about uh, 50 years ago at a party, there was a, a young orator there, and he was known as a great speaker, and one of the people at the party said, we want to hear you speak something, and he said, well, okay. So the young guy stood up, and he couldn't think of anything to say, so he just quoted Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
Makes me lie down in green pastures. Leads me beside still waters. Restores my soul. Even though when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you know, it goes all the way through it. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And when he's done, the young guy speaking, the whole house just applauds. Ah, awesome. That was awesome. And at that same party, there was an elderly minister in his 90s who was retired. And somebody turned to that minister at that moment and said, well, why don't, you're a minister, aren't you? Yeah. Why don't you say Psalm 91? And so the elderly minister stood to his feet at that party and he started to quote that same chapter, the Lord is my shepherd. And yet he didn't have all the perfect punctuation or emphasis like the young orator did. He stammered over a word or two, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And yet when the minister was done, nobody applauded. In fact, like a hush fell over the room. Some women had tissues wiping tears from their eyes. It was like a sacred moment. And after the party, somebody turned to the young guy and said, what was the difference when you quoted Psalm 23 and the the minister quoted Psalm 23? And the young man said, I knew knew the, the, the story of Psalm 23. That minister knows the shepherd of Psalm 23. And let me just say this this week, and this is what we're passionate about our church. It's not just about having a little bit of Southern religion or getting a little bit of Jesus on Sunday morning or doing the right thing. We believe that the message of Jesus Christ still has the power to personally change people's lives and put them back together again. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? What about you? Not about your friends or your neighbors or your parents or your grandparents. What about you? What do you say? And because Peter made this declaration of faith, Jesus said around the message of Jesus, Jesus would build his church. Right? The word church we have in, in English is kind of a derivative of a German word, which means building. But Jesus, I want to show you this word Jesus that Jesus uses for church. It's a Greek word called ekklesia. Come on, somebody say ekklesia. Come on. All right, come on. Turn to the person next to you and tell them you sound so smart when you say that. Come on, just tell them that, would you? You sound so smart. Ekklesia. It literally comes from two Greek words. Ek, out of. Kaleo, call. So to call out of. That's what ekklesia means. To call out of. This is what Jesus said he's going to build. A church, which isn't just a building, it's a group of people that are called out of something, called out to something, okay? So here's what you need to know. Scott's edition, Midlothian, Chesterfield County Jail, online. The story of Jesus is a story of God calling us out of our sin into a relationship with him and other believers and then calling us to make a difference in the world around us. It's not only personal transformation. Come on, somebody. It's personally called, right? It's per- aren't you glad God personally called you? Isn't that incredible? Like, I mean, what a, what a thought that he would call us by name, that we'd enter into relationship with him, that, 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 that Jesus would call us personally, literally not just to something, but to someone, to a personal relationship with him. In fact, this is the word in scripture. I could turn to so many different passages, but let me just show you one this weekend. It's in 1 Samuel uh, 3. Samuel is a young uh, prophet in training and he, God keeps speaking to him in the night. And every time he, he, God speaks to him, he wakes up and he thinks it's Eli, the priest. And he wakes the priest up and says, you called me. And the priest said, I didn't. It happens three times. How many of you hate to get woken up in the night? Come on. Can I get a, like, I, I, here's what I am. I'm a guy that if you wake me, if Katie wakes me up in the first 10 minutes that I've been asleep, I'm up for an hour. 
So like the first 10 minutes that I'm asleep, she has to be super, super careful. And uh, uh, in fact, but here's the thing, I fall asleep suddenly, okay? In fact, she told me the other night, we were in bed and I started fast forwarding through a commercial and I fell asleep before the end of the commercial, okay? She hates that about me. But uh, Samuel keeps waking up Eli and Eli, finally Eli says, it's not me, it must be God speaking to you. And the Lord called to Samuel and Samuel finally gets it the fourth time. He says, speak for your servant is listening. How many want to hear God speak, right? Like through his word in our lives. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. He literally gives him a promise about what he's about to do. Let me just say this. This is part of what next is. It's a reminder to all of us in this season that God still has a good future for you. And that God has a good future for us as a church. And that though the news says and the world is and you're concerned, that, that all of that, that God still has a purpose and a plan for us, right? It's a next. And God says to him, you, the ears of those around you are going to tingle. I think the decisions we're going to make today, the decisions we make in these two years, we're going to stand here five years from now and we're going to be in awe of what God has done in our community, in our church in Richmond and Midlothian and in this whole city. I think we're going to be in awe of what God does. I, I really do. I think we're going to be amazed at what he does. In fact, in fact, he says the ears of all who hear it are going to be tingled. Here's what he's saying. God has a plan for his people that it's even better than their plan for themselves. Aren't you glad for that, right? In fact, I've started a new thing at some restaurants. When they ask me what I want, I say to them, what should I want? Like, you tell me what's good here. Here's why. Because I want the server to tell me, I don't know what's good here, so I need you to tell me what's good here, Right? In fact, I try to tell my wife to do that because we'll be at like Denny's and she's like, I'll have the spaghetti. And I'm like, they have that here? Like, and, and, and I, think, I just think you ought to get what they're good at. You know? And so what I'm saying is whatever you're good at, whatever the chef feels good about, why don't you bring me that? Because I think you might know better than me what's good around. I just want to remind us today that he knows better than we know about our life. Commit our ways to the Lord and he will direct our past. I think sometimes we, we get surprised at the surprising goodness of God. In fact, God tells Samuel that not one of God's words is going to fall to the ground. He has a good promise, a good purpose to help us. We're called to someone to do something. God has something for us together in relationship to a someone, God, to do something to make the difference in the world around us. And that is what, that is what uh, 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 next is. It's a reminder to us to be focused on God's good plan, that we're called out of this world and we're called to a better way, a purpose. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Here's what he's saying. We have two options, right? Which way we'll choose. And Jesus promises his people in this passage, he will build his church. Come on, say that with me. I will build my church. Come on, say it. I will what? I will that's Jesus' promise. And here's what he's saying. He's going to build his church that we not only are personally transformed and personally called, we've got to be together focused on what Jesus is building, which is his church. And so let me just make a case this weekend that Jesus is building his church. And, you know, people look at different things that will change our world and all the things I'm going to mention are good, but, but I don't think they can really change the human heart. How many know the answer to our world is not in politics and government? I mean, even if your girl or your guy gets in office, how many know the answer? How many know government cannot fix what it didn't ruin? You know, the brokenness of the human heart can only be saved through Jesus Christ. 
Government cannot fix it. And people say, well, education, if we just got everybody educated, the world would be a perfect place. Really? Because the biggest explosion of education happened between 1900 and 2000. In that hundred years, we, we exploded in information and education. And in that hundred years, all we used our education to do was build more deadly bombs, have worse wars, and kill more people in wars than the entire history that led up to that. Like, I'm all for education, but how many know the answer to the world is not in government and it's not in education? You say, well, it's in power structures. No, no, no. And let me just say this. I'm not in any way discounting uh, the men and women who serve. In fact, let me just pause for a second. We honor the men and women who serve our country and protect our freedom. We honor you, right? But the answer is not in power structures. When we left Afghanistan after a couple decades there, in one day it was all a mess again, okay? And so the answer isn't in power structures or economic solutions, government or education. The answer is, 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 is somewhere else. In fact, Bible literally says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, come on chapel, but against principalities and against powers and against rulers of darkness of this world. The problem with our world is spiritual wickedness and high plate, meaning this problem in our world is not just economic, governmental, educational power structures. The problem in our world is the brokenness of the human heart and mind and we're wrestling against but the bible literally tells us the good news is that we have divine power to demolish strongholds and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of god jesus christ has given us the gospel and he's challenged us to focus on this so catch this here is what next is i could almost illustrate it this way every year when we go to the beach my boys get their boogie boards and the same thing happens right i sit in the sand and i watch them on the boogie board and they go out and ride a wave in, and they go out and ride a wave in, and each time they ride a wave in, they just move a little bit down the shore, don't they? And I tell them every year, hey, hey, the, the waves are gonna pull you this way, so you gotta kinda keep an eye on us, and over time, little by little, I used to, when they were little, get nervous, and now I just think maybe somebody else will take them home. And, uh, <laughs> and you know what happens every year? I just gotta look up through the beach, they're gonna come dragging boogie boards, hey, dad? In fact, one year, my son said, why'd you move the, the umbrella? I said, yeah, we moved the umbrella. That's what we did. All this stuff took 25 minutes. We waited till you went in there, and I thought it'd be hilarious to move 300 yards that way. You numbskull. And uh, here's what happened. Little by little, they drifted. And here's what I want to say during COVID happened. Little by little, I think some people didn't make purposeful decisions. They, they weren't trying to head in a certain way, just their rhythms and routines. And little by little, they drifted away from what God, and, and here's what next is. It's a call to remind us to be together, focused as a church, to bring transformation, to be disciples of Jesus ourselves, and disciple our community and make a difference for Jesus Christ. That's what next is all about, right? Yeah. And so here's the point Jesus literally says, Peter, because of what you said, the message of Jesus, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So here's what Jesus argues for, personal transformation, personal calling, together focus. Here's the last thing. And this is what I'm calling us to this weekend together as a church. Together, together, here it is, number four. Together we build the kingdom of God with Jesus. Now, make no mistake, Jesus builds the church. Aren't you glad for that? <laughs> How many know the Bible actually calls pastors under shepherds? And First Peter calls him the chief shepherd. 
fact, that's even why we picked this text today. We need to remind ourselves there is just one shepherd of the, hey, 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 there is just one shepherd of this church, Jesus Christ, the great shepherd. Like, let's make no mistake about it. And in fact, half the things God's doing in this church are better than we are. How many have known us for a while and you're amazed at what God's doing? Come on, right? Like, how many know there are things that just God's goodness, his grace, his kindness to God? So, so, so we all agree Jesus is building his church, right? Yeah. But he invites us into the process to partner with him to build the church. And here's what we're doing over these next two years is we're making this push, this initiative to get ready to expand the vision of our church and the footprint of our church and resources to be able to make a difference in our community. And you know, over the last couple of years, people have said all kinds of crazy things like in-person church isn't, isn't, uh, isn't a thing anymore. All I know is when we add a service, people come. We got a 4.30 service. Last week, we had our biggest 4.30 service. 4.30, come on, 4.30. How many know you can sleep in, right? Add service, people just come. And listen, there's something, I'm not saying that, listen, there's, online is amazing and it's great for people who, who have different, for different reasons, have to stay home and it's kept people through this whole season. But how many know there's nothing like being in the room? Come on, tell the person next to you, you look good today. Come on, just tell them, nothing like being in the room. Come on, Scott's edition, tell them you look good today. Yeah. But Jesus is building his church and he's asking for people that will together build the kingdom with him. And I started to think as we were heading into this series about all the challenges in our world. And I thought, Jesus, are you still in charge of your church? And I thought of all the ways the church had overcome obstacles throughout history. I thought in the 300s, Diocletian literally starts to persecute the church. And he takes families into arenas and lets them wrestle lions. And they're murdered for their faith. And And yet within 10 years of him trying to outlaw Christianity, Constantine takes over and he makes Christianity the official religion of Rome and literally builds churches all over the world and the gospel goes forward. I thought of all the way the church overcome odds. I I thought about about, uh, the French uh, um, atheist Voltaire who literally said because of the enlightenment and new thinking, thinking people would never believe there is a God. Let me just pause for a second and tell you, I think there's a good reason for thinking people to think there is a God. Every time I look at a sunset, I never think to myself, that happened through a random collision of molecules. Listen, when I I see an ultrasound of my little baby and they show me four chambers of a heart and it's it's the size of a fingernail, I never thought, well, good thing some atoms jammed together. That's all. We just happened to, uh, wow, that's pretty. I I think the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The skies proclaim his handiwork. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they give praise. Hey, I grew up in upstate New York. It was overcast all the time. Every sunset in in Richmond, I stand there and go, what is that? And I'm telling you, it's more than a pretty pink sky. It's God showing off his hand. How many know whenever there's design, it points to a designer, right? So I think there's a good reason. But Voltaire, the French infidel, literally said that within 100 years of his life, the only place you'd find a Bible is in a museum. And when he died, the Geneva Bible Society bought his house. And today in his living room, they're printing Bibles. Come on, they're printing Bibles. And, and, and literally the gospel goes forward, right? The gospels, I think of the Huguenots in France. 
when, when the deep persecution sought to stamp out the gospel in that part of the world and they went underground and the church grew underground in hidden places, became stronger and stronger. In fact, if you were to go to France today, it literally says, pound with a hammer. The hammer breaks, the anvil stands. And literally it was a picture that the more they tried to stamp out the church, the more that Jesus Christ grew his church. In fact, you know our theme verse, Acts 28, 31, is Paul ending his ministry. And we don't know what happens to him in the Bible, but history tells us what happens to him. Extra biblical historians like Josephus tell us what happens to Paul. And that's not that long after the book of Acts is concluded. Paul is taken out of his room. That he, Remember, he's in house arrest. And he's led down the stairs and out the door. And large Roman guards lead him to the center of the city where Paul will be, be beheaded. He'll be killed for his faith. And I can almost imagine walking with Paul that day as he's walking to, to die. And, I, and he's thinking of the ecclesias, the church. <laughs> These little churches all over the world that he's founded over the last 30 years. He's thinking of the Corinthian church. I mean, we're talking 20-person churches, 25-person churches in Corinth and Ephesus and Philippi and the Galatian scattered churches. Imagine the Corinthian church. He's, well, he's, imagine he's walking thinking, what will happen to these little churches? Will they make it through this? Don't you wish you could just walk next to Paul and tell him it turned out okay, Paul? And as he's literally walking along the way, in fact, Katie and I had a chance to to a few years ago, stand in the Colosseum there in Rome, right? Where many Christians were persecuted, where they competed for the, for the, the, the roar of the masses in, in the Colosseum and in Nero's forum, they, their life was taken. And imagine if you could just whisper to Paul, Paul, it turned out okay, let me tell you what happened. And Paul's afraid because Nero's persecuting the church. The Bible tells, or history tells us that, 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 that the Roman government would literally take people and impale them on torch, with torches, impale them on sticks and wrap them in tar and use them as human torches to light the parties of Nero's government. Surely Paul's getting ready to be beheaded and he's wondering, is this whole thing going to get stamped out? There's only a few fragile churches. Does God still have a plan for his church? And imagine you could come alongside of Paul and say, oh, it's going to be so good. 2,000 years from now, Paul, People from Richmond, Virginia are going to travel to, to Rome. And they're never going to ask in any way to see Nero's temple. But they're going to want to maybe know where Paul's house arrest was. And in fact, Nero's forum isn't even ever going to be there. It's going to be St. Peter's Basilica, the largest church built there on the rock of Jesus Christ. Imagine if you could tell Paul it's going to, it's going to work okay. And imagine if you could tell Paul, there's going to be little crosses littering the sky all over Rome, but they're not going to be symbols of Roman execution. They're, they're actually going to be known as symbols of the instrument through which Jesus Christ spread his arms out and said, I love you this much. And they're going to be crosses all over and no one's going to care, care about this. And Paul, families are going to raise, are going to wake up on Christmas morning. And they're going to read a story about Caesar Augustus. But that's just going to be a quick footnote. <laughs> it's just going to be a timepiece because it's really about this baby born in Bethlehem. And, and, and here's the thing, Paul. Uh, one day, people are going to name their kids Peter and Paul. And they're going to name their dogs Nero and Caesar. Paul, oh, it's going to be okay. <laughs> it worked. In the end, this little ecclesia... This little, what could happen? Oh, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be just 100, 
20 people in an upper room and just some scatter. But God's going to set us. God's, here, here's the challenge. Here's the challenge, Chapel. Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, let me give you this last thought. And then we're going to take steps of faith, bold steps of faith today. The reason gates don't prevail against the church is because the church is moving in an offensive way towards the gates. Meaning, how many know gates don't chase you, right? You never came home from work and you're like, whoa, my front door. You know, like you have to move towards the front. And literally that's, that's the picture that Jesus has of his church. It's not a shrinking church or a pulled back church or a, oh, don't you know, don't you know what's going on in Ukraine or in Russia? I, maybe we should just all, maybe we should just all pull back. And in fact, my uncle, my uncle, my uncle, and I'm not against this. If you have a lot of tuna in your basement, that's fine. But he said, he's getting all his money out of the bank. He's got it all in his basement and tons of tuna, tons of fresh water. He's like, I recommend you liquidate everything. And I told him, I don't have to. You're, you're, I know you have it. And so as a Christian brother, I'll just come to your house. He's got three pallets of tuna. Come on, somebody shut down the world. It's all going to, we're going to live in the basement. And I just, I'll just give you his address. All of us can go there one day. Listen, I'm not saying there aren't challenges in the world. I'm just saying Jesus said he will build his church and he'll build a church that's taking ground for his kingdom. It's time for the chapel to take ground for his kingdom, right? He will build his church. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do today. I'm going to ask us to do so we can plan 100% participation in this. And some of us are going to begin to give for the first time consistently. And God's going to, going to teach us the joy of giving. And Some of us are going to feel the challenge in this moment to say, I'm going to expand my generosity over the next 24 months so I can make a difference. I can partner to see what God does in the life of our church. And I want to just answer one question that was asked to me at the end of 815 some churches shut down all ministry during a building campaign. And so somebody said, are we going to do that? I heard about one pastor who said, well, we take away the snacks in the preschool room. And how many know, just let the kids have their uh, Cheez-Its. Come on, just leave that alone. Okay, yeah. So we're going to, how many know we're still going to do ministry for the next year and a half? We're still going to go for, we're, still, we're not going to cut back one missions check, one missionary support. We're going to trust God and all this because here's what we're believing. We're believing a bunch of us that have been on the sidelines in generosity are going to get in the game. And a bunch of us that are in the game are going to say, God, would you stretch my generosity? So here's what I'm going to ask today so that we can plan, so that it helps us, so that our team, our board can make plans in the timing of this to pray over what we can do. So would you take that card in your hand? And I'm going to ask you today, I know a lot of you probably already have filled this out, but some of you maybe left it at home or you want to fill it out. You just say, here's what I normally give and here's what I'm going to expand. And here's what I can do for two years. And then there's a box there that says my two-year commitment to the chapel, total giving, uh, building and missions and, and uh, general ties, all, all that in that one number. And then what we want to do today is we want to, we want to fill this card out and then we're going to fold it over for your privacy. We're going to drop these off and we're going to trust that today's a day, first step in a journey over the next two years to help us move forward for the vision God's put on our hearts. Before you fill those cards out, would you just bow with me all over this room? Scott's edition. Online, there's a digital version of this on our website called Next. You can go on it. You can fill that out online and let me pray for us today. Jesus, we're getting ready to take steps of faith as a church. We're getting ready to have you stretch us. And 
God, I feel it as a pastor. I feel it as a commitment Katie and I are making. I feel it. I feel it in what you've called us to, but God, you've called us to get out of the boat and to walk on the water. And we, we see you there, Jesus. And so, God, thank you for the amazing generosity of the chapel, a church rich in generosity. But God, would you speak to us now what you want us to do? Those, a lot of us have been praying about this for the last month. and Some of us, even in this moment, God, you're changing. You're, you're stretching us even more. So we're going to obediently follow that um, step. God, we declare that you're Lord of everything, including our finances. God, some of us are going to start to get, we've, you know what, God? We haven't been generous. You're going to teach us to be generous. You're going to use this incredible adventure as a church to stretch us and show us how you provide for us. In Jesus' name. Would you take that pen and that card, Scott's edition, online? I'm going to give us just two minutes. You just put your head down and fill that out. To give you just a second to do that today. You're amazing. Thank you, Chapel. Thank you, Chapel. As you're filling that card out, I'll tell you, my, my one son, my oldest son, made a commitment. First, he hasn't given yet, $350. And I thought to myself, he said to me, Dad, how much? I don't think $350 can make a big difference. And I said to him, listen, it makes a big difference. Because he's learning generous. How many know it's not equal giving? It's equal sacrifice. For him, $350 is... $350, he'll probably have to get it from me. And, uh, <laughs> but he needs to learn the principle of taking a step. That's why we say 100% participation. It's not, it's not even just for some number. It's, it's so that we're all part of it, all play, teammates, family members, all in, all of us in. So I'll give you one more second and we'll pray together. So God, take the steps of faith we're taking today and use them for your glory. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Two weeks from now, we'll give a celebration Sunday. We'll give some updates on where we're at. And we're so thankful for the steps we're all taking together. Honestly, in advance, I just want to thank you, the leaders that have gone first. So many of you that are taking steps even today. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Hey, uh, Scott's edition, Midlothian, we're gonna do something a little different. Sometimes we, we end service and then we throw to different campuses. We're gonna stay together for a minute, okay? Scott's edition, so if we're gonna stay together. We're gonna sing this great uh, song that when we fight, we fight on our knees with our hands lifted high. And I'm gonna ask our host to come forward today. If you just, if you filled that card out, would you fold it over so that the numbers are on the inside, the numbers you wrote are on the inside. We're gonna just drop these in buckets for your privacy today. This so, Thank you so much for doing this today. It helps our team plan. In two weeks, we'll give you an update on where we're at. In fact, as, uh, as our hosts come through today, you just take that card, you fold it over, you drop it right in the bucket. In Scott's edition, online, there's a card online. This is, hey, our church is never going to be the same again. God's going to lead us. God's going to direct us. God's going to go before us. We're so thankful for your, uh, for your incredible generosity today. Come on, let's just start that song. Come on, as I...
Yeah. So. Yeah.